informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us. Busy show coming up today. We'll hear from former Secretary of Agriculture and now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. We'll learn about renewed efforts or new efforts, I should say, to uh, market U.S. dairy products in Southeast Asia. The dairy industry really uh, stepping up uh, those marketing efforts, and we'll find out more about that from former Secretary Vilsack here in a bit. A lot going on with the renewable fuels industry. Uh, we'll get updates on that as we go along on today's program and some assessments of uh, where all of that stands. Thanks again for joining us, and thanks to uh, all of our affiliates that carry Adams on Agriculture. And please let your local station know that you appreciate them carrying us, and uh, be sure to support your your local station. So. Uh, we always appreciate uh, being able to talk with you each and every day, and it's thanks to our, our local affiliates to, uh, throughout the country that make that possible. We want to thank them and hope that you will as well. So a lot going on in the uh, renewable fuels industry, that's for sure. Um, we're going to be talking here in just a moment with Bob Deneen, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, to get the very latest. Yesterday we told you about the... A lawsuit that's uh, been filed, another lawsuit uh, seeking action, uh, EPA, to to stop uh, their policy on the granting of these re, uh, these waivers on the renewable fuel standards. So we want to get an update on that. Meanwhile, we're waiting to hear, are we going to get anything uh, on E15 for summer use? And, uh, you know, here we are in June. We've lost E15, so we're waiting to see whether or not uh, that going to come through. The president has talked about allowing E15, but we still haven't seen uh, anything happen on that yet. So we're watching um, to see if anything happens there. Scott Irwin, ag economist from the University of Illinois, will be joining us a little bit later on to give us some assessment of where all this is headed. And uh, we'll also get some reporting later in the program from Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters as he uh, he covers this on a daily basis. Meanwhile, the word on trade um, the president now saying on NAFTA he wants to negotiate separately with Mexico and Canada. He says he's not going to pull out of NAFTA, but rather than all three countries negotiating at the same time, he wants to do it separately. So we'll be watching that and see where it develops there as well. But as we mentioned, a lot going on with renewable fuels, and joining us now is Fuels Association. Bob, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Mike. Okay, yesterday you took another step, uh, filing suit against EPA. Give us an update on that. Well, there were uh, several groups that joined us, uh, but uh, with Administrator Pruitt handing out uh, small refinery hardship waivers uh, like uh, Halloween candy, we figured we had no other choice but to go to court and uh, challenge uh, the underlying criteria that EPA is using to uh, grant these waivers and to seek the court's uh, intercession to get them to reallocate those gallons that are now lost because uh, there's more than 1.2, 1.3 billion gallons of biofuel demand that has been sacrificed at the altar of Scott Pruitt, and, you know, enough is enough. We thought we would hear something yesterday from the White House. We did not. Now it's expected today. What are you expecting to hear? Well, I understand that uh, the White House is contemplating finally granting uh, year-round relief for E15 and and, uh, allowing it to the same volatility treatment as E10, which is a step in the right direction. But as you recall, Mike, uh, it was about two months ago that the president told Scott Pruitt to do that. And he hasn't done a thing since. So, you know, there'll be another memo with the White House apparently saying, get this done. But at the same time, apparently the White House is contemplating allowing uh, exported gallons of ethanol to qualify for a refiner's domestic RFS obligation. And that would just be horrible. That would certainly undermine whatever good might come of uh, 
granting volatility relief for E15, but it's worse than that because uh, if you allow exports to count toward a domestic fuel requirement, you would be artificially increasing the supply of credits that could be used for a refiner's uh, obligation, thus undermining the domestic market by devaluing those RINs and removing the incentive for a marketer to invest in the infrastructure to blend higher ethanol blends. At the same time, you would be inviting retaliation from our trading partners who would see that, understandably so, as an export subsidy. So you'd, you'd be threatening our export and our domestic markets, and for what? To, to satisfy uh, a few bad actors in the refining industry who have not invested to make sure that they can meet this program? Uh, you know, it, it, what you'd have is a situation, Mike, where farmers are going to be subsidizing some of the most highly profitable oil companies on the globe. That just makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, if that comes down that way, the E15 waiver would really lose a lot of its impact, right? I mean, they may, the White House may consider that giving something to the renewable fuels industry, but really uh, the impact would be minimized by the other action. It would certainly be, you know, be giving on the one hand and taking away with the other because providing volatility parity for E15 does nothing if you then have removed the incentive for gasoline marketers uh, to blend that fuel. It, it, it really, uh, White House would do this. Again, when we look at these actions of being taken by Scott Pruitt, and I know you have felt that uh, he's been doing this on his own, but at some point, that doesn't the president have to step in and say, hey, if I'm really supportive of, of the renewable fuels industry, I have to stop my EPA administrator from doing these things? Well, he has to understand, though, that uh, the administrator is doing these things, and I'm not sure he does. I think if the president fully appreciated the depths to which Scott Pruitt is undermining the RFS and, and biofuels, how he has become refinery first when it comes to implementing this important program, I think he would do something. But uh, that needs to happen. He needs to understand the depth of Scott Pruitt's uh, efforts to destruct demand from this program. So the court case continues in, right? Well, you know, we certainly do. We now have two court cases. We filed mm -hmm. one, as you know, a week ago in the Tenth Circuit to challenge some of the specific waivers that have been granted. And then what we've done this week is the, the two of the one-two punch going right at EPA and their criteria. So uh, it's unfortunate that we've got to resort to litigation in order to get some attention to these issues. But as long as Scott Pruitt is uh, the administrator from EPA, I'm afraid we're going to be seeing these fights because he, he apparently just uh, is fixated on running for uh, Senate from the great state of Oklahoma, and he's trying to do everything he possibly can to ingratiate himself to oil companies and uh, is putting them first and farmers and consumers last. All right, Bob, we'll see what that announcement is out of the White House and, uh, and keep an eye on all this action. Thank you for the update as always. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Mike. That's Bob Deneen, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Tom Vilsack, former Secretary of Agriculture, joins us next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing.
All right, guys. We're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no. We'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym. My gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait. A family hub. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat, I would flip-flop all night long, I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented my pillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed, it's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing. Manufacturing my home state of Minnesota, I have a 10-year warranty, and you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever: get four my pillows for the price of one. That's right, get four my pillows, two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four my pillows for the price of one. Call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to mypillow.com and at checkout use promo code FARM11. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. The U.S. Dairy Export Council is tripling its investment in Southeast Asia market development efforts this year. Here to tell us about it is former Secretary of Agriculture, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. Good to talk with you again. This is uh, quite a jump. I know this is a key market area that you're targeting. Uh, it is, Mike. Uh, you know, the reality is six out of our top ten markets are in Asia, and many of them are located in Southeast Asia. It's a place of great food innovation. It's a, great, uh, a place where we're seeing uh, young population, rising middle classes, a lot of tourism opportunities, and East meets West cuisine. So a real opportunity for us, and we wanted to make sure that we have people, promotions, and partnerships in place to take full advantage of that market. And how are you going to do that? Who are you going to be working with? Well, we just signed a memorandum of understanding with uh, the uh, Food Innovation and Resource Center at the Singapore Polytechnic University. It's an opportunity for us to take full advantage of a key market, uh, particularly in the ingredient area. Uh, I think that partnership will give us the opportunity to have a better understanding of that market, a place for us to connect with potential buyers of U.S. dairy products, and a place for us to do a little research to figure out what works in that market. Uh, we also hired uh, Martin Teo, who's a food application specialist in, in uh, Southeast Asia, to sort of work with us to coordinate our efforts uh, at the Food Innovation and Resource Center. And it's a continuation of the kinds of partnerships uh, and people and personnel that we're beginning to attract into that Asian market. You look at that market, four of our top uh, export markets for U.S. dairy, the Philippines, Indonesia, Vietnam, and Malaysia. Uh, so that's already a key area with more growth potential in, right? It is, and that's why uh, we have also increased significantly our, our promotional activity in Southeast Asia. We recently uh, sponsored the World Gourmet Summit. It was uh, 30 days of an opportunity to showcase U.S. cheeses. Uh, we recently were engaged in the Hotel uh, Food Asia Conference in Vietnam, Another opportunity for us to make connections with potential buyers, importers, uh, the food service uh, operators, uh, the the retail uh, world. Uh, and we we're also doing some technical seminars so that people have a better understanding of the functionality, the, the nutritional value, the versatility of U.S. dairy uh, ingredients and products. That education element is a big part of the marketing effort, isn't it? 
It is. Uh, you know, for many years, people in uh, other countries looked at the U.S. as more, mostly a domestic-oriented uh, or, market, that we were mostly concerned about our domestic market and that we only exported from time to time. We're trying to change that dynamic. We're, we're sending a message that we're in the export business uh, to stay. We have a very aggressive effort to try to improve and increase exports. Uh, and we've seen recently uh, record highs uh, of export activity. We want to build on that uh, momentum. And hopefully we can continue it, although there's a, a little bit of uncertainty now uh, in the export market uh, that uh, we obviously have to ride through. Yeah, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But when we look at some of these markets, I want to focus on Vietnam. That has been an area, a country that has really grown in recent years as far as uh, being our customer. It, it has, and uh, for many reasons. But one of the principal reasons is that they're deeply concerned about the health of their children, uh, and they are concerned about stunting. And they realize that dairy products and U.S. dairy products can help reverse the stunting that they've experienced with their youngsters. Uh, we know uh, for, for a fact that kids who consume dairy uh, at an early age, uh, milk and other dairy products, uh, they basically uh, grow up stronger, uh, healthier. Uh, and so I think the Vietnamese are very interested in, uh, in purchasing more dairy. Uh, they also have uh, rising tourism opportunities. People are beginning to understand that uh, U.S. Is, uh, folks are welcome in Vietnam. Uh, and it's an amazing place, uh, a very young country, uh, very interested in a very vibrant uh, economy, rising middle class, all of that plays the strength of uh, protein and, and dairy proteins. With all the trade uncertainties right now, we're still seeing some pretty good growth in the, some of these markets for U.S. dairy, aren't we? We are. Uh, March was a record uh, month for us, the first time in the history of our export activities that we, we exceeded 200,000 metric tons of volume uh, being placed in the world market. Uh, uh, during the month of March, we basically placed about 17% of uh, U.S. production, which is up uh, from 14 to 15% over the last couple of years. We obviously want to see that continue. Uh, the world economy has improved, uh, and so that's uh, certainly something uh, that gives us a, a, a hope. Uh, obviously, dairy prices are beginning uh, a slight up, upward swing, and, and uh, certainly that's uh, uh, coming at a very important time, as I think many of the dairy uh dairy operations in the U.S. Are, are a bit stressed right now, and so we want to make sure we do everything we can to try to stabilize those prices and get them a little bit higher. We're talking with former Ag Secretary and now President CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. We heard some comments over the weekend from Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau about uh, a possible willingness to open up uh, their market more to U.S. dairy, but no details. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, I think it was a pretty uh, shrewd political move on his part uh, to uh, indicate a willingness to potentially address one of the sticking points in the NAFTA discussions, uh, understanding full well that these discussions are now on hold because of the steel and aluminum tariff uh, assessment that uh, the Trump administration has, has established. Uh, so, uh, you know, hopefully um, negotiations and discussions continue both on NAFTA modernization and also in China. Um, so that we don't, at the end of the day, have to see the establishment of these tariffs, which obviously have caused a, a great deal of concern and, and anxiety around the world. And many countries are beginning to respond uh, by looking at ways in which they can assess retaliatory tariffs. And often uh, agriculture is it's sort of in the crosshairs because we have had and always had the last 50 years of trade surplus in agriculture. How have, how have these trade uncertainties, uh, have they had an impact on our sales of dairy products? Are you, are you hearing from customers uh, their concerns about this? Well, there are concerns. And, you know, at this point in time, China has not chosen to focus on dairy, uh, more on pork and soybeans and corn. Uh, but Mexico uh, yesterday began to suggest that if the steel and aluminum tariffs are, in fact, assessed, that their response may very well be to uh, focus on higher tariffs uh, on our cheese products, which could put us at a, a which would eliminate potentially our competitive advantage that we currently have in that market. That's our number one market. So there's a, obviously concern there, uh, and there's just a general overall concern. The business roundtable CEOs, of major uh, business companies uh, in the U.S., 95% of them uh, believe that there's a moderate to serious risk of de declining export sales across the board because of these tariffs. So. You know, I think we have to we have to hope that uh, keep our fingers crossed that at the end of the day this all gets worked out and we have a freer and fairer trade system uh, without necessarily harming uh, what is working about our current system, which is in agriculture. The president now saying, while he will not pull out of NAFTA or doesn't plan to, that he would he now wants to negotiate 
with Mexico and Canada separately rather than all three countries together. What do you think of that strategy? Well, uh, you know, the problem with that, of course, is that uh, you don't know whether that preserves what's working in Mexico or fixes what isn't in Canada. Uh, at the end of the day, I think the best outcome would be a continuation of the negotiations, uh, a way in which we can indeed keep that Mexican market open and available to a U.S. dairy and uh, at the same time negotiate with the Canadians for greater access uh, to their market and an elimination of Class 7 that's distorted the powder market. Uh, That needs to be the goal, and I think uh, our view is that they need to continue negotiating and talking until that goal is reached. And on China, this has been an up-and-down situation. Um, Hard to keep track of it, quite frankly, what's on, what's off. Uh, What is the situation in China as far as dairy is concerned, are selling dairy products into there? Well, I think we're still uh, basically in a position to to have access to that market. There hasn't been any suggestion of retaliatory efforts directed at dairy specifically. Um, our recent uh, announcement of a MOU with Jinang University in Wuxi, I think, uh, probably helped us uh, uh, suggest to the Chinese that we're interested in a relationship. And I think there's no question with 18 million new children born every year in that country that they're going to continue to need dairy. Uh, there's still uh, a lack of, uh, of full trust by the uh, Chinese consumers in, in China, China's dairy based on the melanine scandal several years ago. Uh, so I think there's still opportunity there. Uh, but, you know, all of this is in flux, Mike, as you indicated, and every day seems to have a twist and turn. And, and at the end of the day, I think what everyone wants is stability. We want to know what's actually going to happen. We want to know that what, whatever is going to happen is going to be firm and set for a period of time. I think American dairy operators, I think American businesses uh, love stability. Uh, certainly can work with whatever changes occur, but at the end of the day, our hope is that uh, agriculture is not uh, disproportionately harmed as a result of the assessment of tariffs or actions taken to try to shore up trade in other areas of of the economy. And this gets back to a point that I've been making quite a bit, and that is the food and agriculture industry is the major employer in the country. It's 28% of the entire workforce is connected to food and agriculture in our country. And I think there's sometimes a a lack of understanding on the part of policymakers as to why that food and agriculture industry should continue to be a top priority, not at the bottom end of the list of priorities, but at the top of the priority list. All right, Mr. Secretary, thank you very much. Always good to talk with you. Appreciate it. All right, Mike. Take care. Bye. Former Secretary of Agriculture, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. And they are really ramping up their efforts to promote U.S. dairy in Southeast Asia. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk with the University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. What about this uh, situation with renewable fuels? If indeed the White House says they're going to grant E15 in the summertime, but on the other hand, allow... REN export credits, as Bob Deneen says, does that just undermine the E15 announcement? We'll get some assessment from our next guest as we talk with Scott Irwin, University of Illinois Ag Economist on AOA. Stay with us. The mighty Prosoro, king of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield, the hammer of head and leaf diseases the number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosoro fungicide, and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosoro.us. Always read and follow label instructions. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Time now for a market check. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Turnaround Tuesday in the grain and oil seed sector for wheat and corn, but soybean futures still seeing losses. July corn gapped lower on Monday to begin the week with the bears driving the contract to its lowest level since April 4th. The contract for July slipping through 100-day moving average support, hovering around 200-day moving average support at 382 an hour into 
Tuesday's trading day. In soybean futures, we're trending two to three and a fraction lower. Soybean planting was estimated at 87% complete as of Sunday, according to USDA. 68% of the crop is emerged. Corn planting, 97% complete as of Sunday, according to USDA. Planting jumping five percentage points last week. Spring wheat, 97% planted as of Sunday. 81% of the crop emerged. Minneapolis spring wheat futures trending seven to nine and a fraction Higher an hour into the trading day, Chicago wheat a dime to 11 and a fraction higher and a dime better in Kansas City wheat as well, trying to recover from Monday's losses. For livestock at the Merck, we started the week lower as trade tensions clouded the outlook for an already oversupplied domestic meat market. In lean hog futures, we are trending a dollar to over two dollars lower. Pork exports to China have dropped off even as domestic production is set for a record. The threat of tariffs also hanging over the beef market. June live cattle currently, though, trading up $1.15 at 105.87, back months 30 to 50 cents higher, and 50 to 75 cents higher in feeder cattle. On Wall Street, the Dow down a point. Crude oil is near unchanged. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, let's uh, continue this uh, update on what's going on, this battle between the renewable fuels industry and EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt. Uh, It's gone to court now, a couple of lawsuits. We're waiting to hear the White House announcement as they try to appease seemingly both sides and it never seems to work that way. Let's talk with uh, Scott Irwin, University of Illinois Ag Economist, on this. Scott, good to talk with you again. We're waiting for yet another announcement from the White House on uh, renewable fuels. It seems like this is weekly uh, kind of uh, drama, doesn't it? It does, and and no announcement seems to really uh, bring any closure to this. In fact, it usually opens up uh, uh, more questions and concerns, especially on the side of the renewable fuels industry. Well, yes. Um, I mean, we can at this point, I think, pretty reasonably expect the announcement to be dealing with two issues. Uh, the first is some kind of likely temporary extension of the uh, to year-round RVP waiver for E15, and then apparently something uh, having to do with uh, allowing RINs on exported ethanol. We just heard Bob Deneen from the Renewable Fuels Association early in the program say, if that's the case, if that's the announcement, then those export RINs pretty much undermine and offset or maybe even more than offset the value of the of the E15 waiver. You've talked about this in the past as well. That I, I would uh, agree with Mr. Deneen on on that front. I mean there's a lot of uncertainty over just how beneficial a year-round E15 waiver will be uh, in terms of RVP. Um, there's just Different views out there. There's some real optimists in the corn ethanol industry. Um, I'm probably put myself more in the, you know, cautiously skeptical <laughs> uh, part of the camp. I think it will definitely be beneficial. 
and it would all else equal help to expand E15. But I, I think there's just a lot of uh, headwinds that will prevent it from being a, as big of an expansion in use as, as the optimists expect. So that's one side. But there's a lot of certainty depending on exactly the nature of the program. We have to have the details on this uh, RINs for exports thing. But that, that's a very straightforward impact in terms of lowering the cost of RINs and reducing incentives. That's, that's now with certainty, depending on the magnitude and how that kind of program might be set up. But I think the bigger issue is that uh, into my interpretation of the RFS and I think other legal experts that I've consulted with, you know, that would be, you know, a dagger at the heart of the purpose of the RFS. It is, without a doubt, a domestic blend mandate. And for the life of me, I don't know how anyone can seriously make an argument with a straight face that allowing you to generate compliance credits for a domestic blend mandate for something that's shipped outside of the United States, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And if this is allowed to continue, and if this is the course the administration is going to go with, I, I don't know how the president can continue to sh say he supports the RFS while at the same time uh, agency within his administration is undermining it. You know, and I think that uh, that is the question of the day in my mind. Um, I just was thinking today, reading some comments uh, from an, an article to the Des Moines Register that I read about farmer concerns about the current situation. And there's a lot of awareness in farm country uh, that President Trump hasn't been the champion of the RFS that he either thinks or, or has stated as his position in the past. So I wonder if there'll be some softening of support for him, because clearly he could have at any point just said full implementation of the RFS as the law, refining industry, live with it, figure out how to work with it. He could have done that, and he did not. That's a fact. And I keep coming back to that point, Scott. At some point, whether Pruitt went out on his own and did this or not, at some point the White House became aware of it, and the White House hasn't stopped him. <laughs> at some point, you're responsible. It's like a head coach with a, of a program in in sports, and something going on that shouldn't be going on in the program, and the head coach may not have known about it uh, originally. But at some point, should have found out. If not, he should have, or he or she should have, in the case of sports. And ultimately, you're responsible. You're the, you're the head person, right? That's right. Although the other side of this, in the, the politics of this, Mike, is really interesting. And I don't know how the biofuels and ag interests are going to react in totality yet. But... There is certainly a strong, strong desire from significant parts of the corn ethanol industry to get that RVP waiver because they really believe that we're just on the cusp of huge increases in ethanol usage from E15. And so there's a big part of the, that industry that you know believes all of this is worth it if you get the RVP waiver because there's, you know, an additional 2 billion gallons of ethanol use just kind of waiting to be turned on if you get this waiver. So um, it's it's not entirely 100% Trump either. The, the, you know, a lot of people think that, that the corn ethanol industry uh, may have done a good part of this to themselves by really being willing to give up so much for that uh, RVP waiver. Good point, but uh, I guess the concern is, what if it, the announcement is, yeah, we're going to grant the E15 waiver, but it may be next year before that actually happens. Yeah. Got, they'll say, we got to go through all the red tape and the procedures and all that. Mean, meanwhile, the other side of it's already happening now, the, the negative side for the renewable fuels industry. That's right. 
Now, having said what I just said, there are, I think are some real divisions in the corn ethanol industry because I thought, you know, a lot of the attention will be on whatever is announced today or whenever it comes out. But I actually thought the most significant thing in recent weeks was announced yesterday from when a biofuels coalition announced that they were going to petition the EPA for changes to the regulations going all the way back to 2010 to require accounting for small refinery exemptions. Uh, that is clearly a precursor to litigation, and a significant part of the corn ethanol industry has clearly given up on the Trump administration and decided that we have to uh, seek litigation, basically. They're declaring the Trump administration as hostile to the RFS, and we're going to have to try to settle this in court. I don't. I know they did not want to do that again, but I think they feel like on the small refinery exemption stuff that they've been backed into a corner and they don't have any choice. We're talking with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. Scott, the other side of this, which comes back to the Trump administration as well, we're seeing growing demand in in export markets for ethanol. But all of that can be jeopardized by how these trade deals work out or the negotiations, whether it's with China or, or, or wherever the country may be, the uncertainty over trade policy impacts that as well. I mean, that that's actually a bigger price impact for the sector and income impact than, than anything going on with the RFS right now. Um, you know, no one knows for sure, but I think a good estimate is that you know, if we get into the, if China goes, feels that they now have to go back and institute tariffs on soybeans, that could drop their price, ease the price of soybeans in the U.S. anywhere from 75 cents to a dollar. That's a huge impact on the sector. And it's also, of course, uh, a big swing impact on, potentially on ethanol exports. We probably don't have, compared to soybeans, of course, not a lot to sacrifice in terms of ethanol exports to China right now. But what we could really sacrifice is potentially that looks like that could be our number one growth market going forward if we're not in a trade war with with China. Uh, I think we could easily see ethanol exports of 500 million gallons a year or more to China just pure ethanol exports, given their expressed desire to move to a 10% blend. So that could be sacrificed uh, easily if this spins out of control. It's a high-stakes poker game going on, isn't it? It is, absolutely. I know that uh, President Trump has high confidence in his ability to not fall off of the tightrope, but history suggests that... uh, um, it's hard to always stay on that tightrope and get to the other side. Lots of things can go wrong, and I think it's that uncertainty that really, um, you know, is, causes the market to put a pretty heavy discount factor into prices right now. And that's pretty reasonable given the uncertainties involved, in my opinion. Well, we'll see where it all goes. Scott, thanks for your uh, thoughts on this. Always enjoy talking with you. We'll be back in touch. Thank you. Uh, Always a pleasure. Take care. University of Illinois, ag economist Scott Irwin. All right, coming up next, Jarrett Renshaw, reporter for Reuters, follows the energy market very closely. Want to get his uh, thoughts on what's happening with this RFS situation, what he's hearing about uh, the uh, Uh, White House announcement, what could be in there, and some reaction to that. So that's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number. 
alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable Bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information, and then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And joining us now, Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. Jarrett, thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. Um, 
the renewable fuels industry doesn't sound very optimistic about the, the, the next White House announcement. No, they don't. No, they don't. We're still uh, kind of waiting for the, the final details, but um, there's been broad reporting on, on kind of what to expect. And, um, you know, the E15 waiver, which obviously makes the, uh, the, the, the biofuels and ethanol industry happy and something they've long asked for, but something that they're not asking for is uh, to attach these uh, RINs or renewable credits to uh, ethanol exports. Um, certainly, without without uh, increasing the quotas as well. So you're still staying at 15 billion. You're not going to go 15 billion plus the exports. So ultimately, from the ethanol industry's point of view, this is this is uh, this will hurt domestic demand. Ultimately, is their is their point of view, and, and essentially, really crater credit prices. If you allow the REN credits, export credits and you keep granting waivers to the RFS, it sure offsets not only an E15 waiver, but uh, uh, the RVO levels of the RFS itself. Sure, no doubt. I mean, uh, you know, without the, the reallocation of, these, um, of, the, of the waiver gallons, you certainly see, um, you know, I think it's fair to say that you're seeing a, a, a undercutting the kind of the spirit and the intent of the RFS. Um, you know, uh, the people on the other side counter that we're, we're still seeing blending at, at higher levels, at the same levels, despite all this, and that ethanol is still competitive as a uh, as a source of fuel. Um, but, you know, these are real structural changes that, you know, don't happen overnight. Uh, so it's hard to take a snapshot of the picture now and assume that that's going to be the snapshot a year from now if, if you know, if, if we see some of these changes keep keep coming. Jared, what are you hearing? What is uh, the feeling now about President Trump keeps publicly saying he supports the RFS, but the actions don't seem to back up those words of what's happening within his administration? Uh, is there starting to be some uh, pushback on this? Uh, we're kind of wondering what Senator Grassley is going to do now. Well, if he doesn't like this announcement, is he going to call for Pruitt's uh, uh, resignation. Uh, we know Joni Ernst from Iowa has been very critical. Uh, I mean, there's some real political ramifications here as well. Sure, no doubt. I mean, I, as a general rule, I kind of uh, uh, track what politicians do, not what they say, right? Because what they do is mm-hmm. generally more more important. So I think, you know, I think the ethanol industry and the oil industry, for that matter, should judge the, the administration on its actions, not kind of the verbiage on the on the trail. As for uh, Grassley and uh, Ernst, I, I fully expect this will be a real test of uh, Grassley's power. He certainly holds a, a powerful seat on the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, um, you know, that is investigating uh, Trump, A, and, and, and then B, is also um, uh, that has a lot of power over judicial appointments and, and, and a lot of other things. So, you know, it would be it's going to be interesting to see – you know, the devil's in the details, right? If this is a soft push from the White House uh, in the memo, uh, say direct or guide or some, you know, if it's a little more broad, then I, I think you won't see as uh, hard of a push from Grassley. But if, 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 if the memo comes out and it's, uh, you know, it shows a clear path, I think we'll, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Grassley's next move is and, and whether he, you know, he has to clout to stop some of this. And now there's a legal side to it with the lawsuits being filed, but those take time. Yeah, yeah. I even uh, had some conversations with some folks, uh, you know, two, three. What if, what if it takes two years to get through? I mean, this, the, some of the stuff they're demanding change. I think there's a certain sense of, hey, we, we need to put the EPA on notice that we're unhappy and hope that kind of convinces them to move mm-hmm. or expedite some, some moves or change their course of direction as opposed to, uh, you know, ha- having success in the lawsuit. So. You know, quite frankly, we have these lawsuits. If they come out with a memo and there's and there's some you know, executive action, some of the stuff on either way, even on the E15s, I anticipate more lawsuits. Uh, so I, I think we're going to be uh, writing about and covering um, these lawsuits for for the foreseeable future, one way or the other. Yeah, I think you're right on either side, and I I, I agree. I think this was to get. EPA's attention and maybe the White House's attention on this filing these lawsuits. Yeah, I think so. I think that was the, the that, that was the clear first um, uh, uh, strategy here. Obviously, they would, they would like to win, but I, I think there's a an understanding that these things take considerable amount of time, and uh, time's not maybe necessarily on its side because 
you know, there's a a thousand other steps or intervening factors that could happen between now and and any court decision that changes, you know, the calculus on any of these things. And easy to see why the renewable fuels industry felt compelled to do this, because there has been no indication of a change in policy by uh, the EPA on, on these waivers. Yeah, not 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 whatsoever. I think uh, you know, and I think there's still kind of more to know about the waivers, right? We don't. They're still they're still in a black box, largely in kind of the process. So I, I think I think the public deserves to, to figure out some of the some of the way these waivers were were granted or not granted. And I think uh, the more it comes to light, I think the, the better understanding we have, and, and 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 I think people can come into this eyes wide open and scrutinize it fairly. Um, you know, right now we just no one knows, so it really makes it hard to justify their moves, um, or for me to even be critical because you, you just don't know. We don't know. Why don't we know the criteria? You know? Yeah, so that's it, the it thing. Make a challenge. Yeah, not knowing the rules or how the rules are interpreted. We thought we knew the rule, but we now now it's sure. how you interpret the rule, and obviously how Scott Pruitt views it is certainly different than how many other people view it even within the administration such as secretary purdue does does not agree with with what he's doing secretary purdue says maybe they've got something worked out but uh i I, we haven't seen it yet no doubt i think uh you know i i don't think even the memo comes out today i i still think we're far away from a, a a some changes uh so you know i know that everybody's uh looking to watch and, and, and waiting for this but I, to me this is still just the first step in whatever the white house is mm-hmm. trying to do um but they i just got off the phone with somebody who just said yeah the white house is despite all the political obstacles and all the noise they are i think he used the word kind of bent on moving forward with this so wow. um you know so i think they're moving forward to, uh, i think the, the key word is watch we'll the see. language How to, what yep. form does it take what's what direction is it is it you know is it yep. guidance is it we're moving forward At- unilaterally it's All that's important. And we'll watch your reporting. Thanks, Jarrett. Hey, no problem. Thank you. Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. We'll continue with this tomorrow. Hope you'll stay with us and be with us tomorrow on AOA. Have a great day. The mighty Prosoro, king of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield. The hammer of head and leaf diseases the number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosaro fungicide, and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosaro.us. Always read and follow label instructions. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, Immigration Reform, Reducing Regulations, Trade, New Technology, as well as Infrastructure and Health Care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network.